Once again, good morning to you. As Aaron was uh, suggesting before our Bible class, this is a beautiful morning. We are grateful for this opportunity to learn more about God and to continue in worship. We'll focus on the very broad topic of the value of work. The value of work. Do you have good memories of being a worker when you were little, as you were growing up, the different odd jobs uh, that you may have had here and there? Do you feel like you learned a lot about yourself and life as you also uh, learned to work? The value of work. This is a subject definitely brought out by our Lord. And we'll go through just a few sections uh, to be able to remind us of these important truths about work. About work. Page one is simply to remind us that God created us and commands us to work. God created us to work and He commands us to work. This is simply seen from Genesis chapter 2 and 15 where the Bible says God took the man, Adam, the first man. He took the man and put him in the garden so that he could work that garden and keep that garden in a continuous uh, working. This was not punishment for Adam. This is not at the time he put him in the garden. A sin had not entered into the world. This is not uh, Adam being uh, encouraged by his wife uh, to go to work because his wife is not on the scene yet either. This shows us just how fundamental work is in God's mind. The very first thing God did with Adam was to put him in the garden for him to work it and to keep it. It's an honor to work. It's not a punishment. It's not something for us to dread. It's an honor to work. We know this not only because of Genesis 2.15, but because God Himself is a worker. Notice in Genesis 1 and 31 that as God created the universe, He saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Notice in Genesis 2, in the first few verses there, God on the seventh day, He finished the work that He had been doing, and He rested on the seventh day from all the work Uh, that he had accomplished. God is a worker. So it's an honor for us to be a person of work and to be industrious uh, in our lives. John 5, 17, Jesus explained it this way. He said, My Father works up until now, and I work also. And when you look at Jesus' life, His is a continuous working For example, in John chapter 4 and 34, Jesus told His disciples, My food, my meat is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Jesus had a drive about Him that He must finish the work God gave Him to do. John chapter 9 and verse 4, the Lord says, We must work the works of Him who sent me While it is day, the night comes when no man can work. John 17, 1-5, Jesus, as He prayed about going back to the Father, 
as he was contemplating and looking at the cross right before him, he said this in verses 3 and 4 in John 17. He said, I have glorified your name as he prayed to the Father. He said, I have, I have glorified your name while I've been on this earth. I have finished the work that you gave me to do. Wouldn't that be something wonderful to be inscribed upon your tombstone? I have glorified the Lord while on earth. I have finished the work that He gave me to do. We remember Jesus' words as He was on the cross. Some of His final words were simply, It is finished. It is finished. Jesus did the work that God gave Him to do. And so, first of all, we are reminded here on page 1, we are reminded that God created us, commands us to work, and it's an honor. It's a real privilege and honor to work. It gives us a sense of well-being. It gives us a sense of responsibility. It gives us a sense of value. It is what God had intended it uh, to be. Page 2. We need to discuss some necessities that are attached to work. There are several principles, necessities, that are attached to the ideal of work. Ephesians 4.28 gets us started. Paul's words to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 4.28, where Paul said, Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let let him labor with his hands that which is good, that he may have to give to those in need. The first ideal here is, the first necessity is that our work must be good. The work that we, must, that we do must be good work. There is some unwholesome work. Notice what Paul says there in Ephesians 4.28. He says, let, the, let him who steals steal no more. Thief. Now, you can rightly say that being a thief is labor. If you were going to become a thief, you would have to plan your time to rob others of their possessions. You'd have to plan it out. And then there would be some risk involved. And then there would be the doing of that. And then there would be the escaping of that. That would be some toil and labor, but it's not wholesome. It's not good. Paul says, let him labor with his hands that which is good. The work we do must be good work. It cannot be something that's At least from the biblical standpoint, from the standpoint of being a Christian, it can't be something that's that's um, that's unwholesome. Like you wouldn't want to work in a bar. You want to you wouldn't want to work in a place where you're serving alcohol. There's so many so many ways and avenues of doing good work. You wouldn't want to be involved in something uh, that's just unwholesome. When I was in uh, junior college in my hometown, hometown of Jasper, there was a, a drive-on to get alcohol uh, legalized. And we were still a dry county at that time, and so several of us was out campaigning against legalizing alcohol. And I was at the time I was working at Franklin Motor Company there on Highway 78, and he saw the posters in my car, or a a, a, a co-worker saw. Uh, posters in my card about staying dry, keeping the county dry. And he pulled me off to the side and he said, look, alcohol will bring more jobs. And he said, he said I've got several sons that, that need a job. Okay. 
And so he was looking at it totally from a job standpoint, just having income coming in. And I, we talked just for a little while. We, we talked about this very verse, that we are to work that which is, is good. The work must be uh, good. Secondly, we must know the purpose of work. Staying right here in Ephesians 4.28, Paul plainly tells us that the purpose of working is to have so that you can give to those in need. The purpose of working is to have so you can give to those uh, in need. Our family has needs. That's why 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, If any provide not for his own, uh, he has become worse than an infidel. He's an unbeliever. We are to work so we can provide uh, for our families. Our families have needs, but so do the poor. Paul said in Galatians 2 and verse 10 that we are to remember the poor. The poor have needs. So we work so we can help others who don't have it as good as we have. And the gospel has needs. There will always be the need to spread the gospel. And where the gospel goes, there must be money to go behind it or it will never go. And so the gospel and the church has needs. But the purpose of working is is to give it away. If you're worried about that, remember Jesus' words in Luke 6 and 38 where He says, Give and it shall be given unto you. So the more you give, the more the Lord will provide an opportunity for you to get more. So don't worry about that. The purpose of work is to give. It's to give to those in need. The Lord didn't put us here to pile up a bunch of money. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Where moth and rust and dust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But rather... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the way we lay up treasures in heaven is to give it away and support that which is good. That which is good. Also, a necessity attached. Not only should work be good, and not only uh, is the purpose of work to give, but in the third place, when you think about necessities attached to work, we must do our very best work. When we work, we must give it our 110%. If we're doing that which is good, no matter what it is, the Lord would have us to put all our heart and soul into that work, no matter what it is. No matter what it is. You see, the Bible just doesn't have anything good to say about a lazy person. Over in Proverbs 10 and 26, the Scripture says that if you send a sluggard uh, to do a work, it'll be like having smoke in your eyes. You've had that. How does that work? If you've got smoke continuously filling your eyes, your eyes are going to get red, they're going to get watery, you will not be able to continue what you're doing. If you send a sluggard to do something, it's like having smoke in your eyes or vinegar in your teeth, and both of those are terrible. Proverbs 26 13 to 16 talks about a lazy person, a sluggard. It first says, a sluggard, when he considers work, he will say, well, there's a, there may be a lion in the streets. There may be a wild animal in the streets. And then it says about the lazy man there in Proverbs 26, 13 to 16, it says, as a door turns on its hinge, so a lazy man turns in his bed. When a lazy man puts his hand to the dish to get his food, he's so tired he can hardly bring his hand back to his mouth. 
And then he says, a sluggard in verse 16 is wise in his own eyes. Let me sum that up for you. First of all, lazy people make excuses. There's a lion in the streets or something else. They make excuses. Secondly, they deplete their energy. The more you won't do, the less energy you're going to have to do. Energy creates energy. Doing creates more doing. But the less you do, the less energy you're going to have to do anything. That's when he talks about, you know, as a door turns on his hinge, so he will turn on his bed. And then thirdly, a lazy man has all the answers, right? Verse 16, Proverbs 26. A lazy man has all the answers. He's wiser than, than in his eyes than seven men who are advisors. He's just wise. Have you ever noticed that? That the person not doing the thing has all the answers about the thing that's being done? It's been, it's been a... Okay, in, in, in my work, and I, I've done you know, some church work, but I've done work prior to church work as well, and on the top of a list of aggravations is that right there, that most of the time, the biggest complaints will come from those who've never done what they're complaining about. Just amazing little, little tweak there of humanity. But when we work, we are to give it our very, very best. Now Sam read from for us earlier this morning from Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Also you can follow that up uh, with Colossians uh, 3, 22 to 24, talking about the relationship between the master and servant or the employer and the employee. He says, when you work, master or servant, when you work, you are to work as unto the Lord. Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. That's where we make our mistake. We think we're working for somebody else. But as Christians, we are working for the Lord. No matter what it is that we're doing, whether we are tending to our little ones at home, or whether we are in the yard working, or whether we are fulfilling our duties at a job place, we are serving the Lord. And he says, don't be men pleasers. Don't be men pleasers. That's a person who only works when the boss is around. Otherwise, he's trying to to cut out of his work. As I was mentioning a moment ago, uh, when I was in college, I worked at Franklin Motor Company and I was just a gopher boy. I loved it. I loved that work. I've loved every job I've ever had. I love that work. And they would often send us, uh, a couple of us, out to deliver cars. The car would get worked on or a new car comes in. And so two of us would, would go and deliver the car and then your co- co-worker would pick you up. And I, I had this fellow, he'd come to work and he would follow me and I would deliver the car. And he would follow me and he would pick me up in the company truck and he would make about five stops on the way back to the car lot okay stops that had nothing to do with work he'd stop and he would speak with a friend at this corner and then he would run to another friend's house and then he would stop by the grocery store and get him something to drink and so he was a new employee so first time he did that and then but then the second time he did it, i just told him i said we're not going to be doing that again now he was much older than me but I said, we just don't do that. I said, we got, we got way too much to do. So the third time, he did it. And I said, you're going to have to let me drive. 
I said, we're going to go straight back. And as I got into the driver's seat, he pushed me down on the ground. And so I told him, I said, I'm going to get in. But I said, I have no choice, you know. He didn't work there very much longer. I didn't want to, ta- I didn't want to tell the, the bosses on him, but, but everybody could see that he just wasn't there uh, to work. We are to put our 110% behind whatever. If it's good, if it's wholesome, if it's work, then we put all our heart into it. Now, the fourth ideal here that's attached to work, it's a necessity, is that work is meant to keep us humble. It's not meant to, to make us proud. We've got to realize that when we work, we're not doing all this on our own. Remember Deuteronomy 8, verse 11 for a second. God is warning the people as they, as they enter the promised land, beware lest you forget God. And then Deuteronomy 8, 17. Beware lest you get into the land and you start saying, it is my power that has brought me all this wealth. God said, you've got to remember, it is the Lord that gives you the power to get wealth in the first place. It's He who made your body. It's He who made your brains. It is He who gives you the opportunity. It is He who brings people into your life. It is He who brings circumstances into your life to where you're actually able to work and have what you have. That's why Jesus says, when you pray, Matthew 6, 9-13, when you pray, you're to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread doesn't come from us. Our daily bread comes from the Lord. No matter how, how hard we work, no matter how much we work, we can never say it comes from us. It's meant to keep us humble. And then, one other necessity that's attached to work. And that is always to remember that spiritual work is a higher calling. Now I think there's a lot of spiritual value to physical labor and secular work. But nonetheless, the spiritual work of the kingdom of God is the higher calling. Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, they looked at Jesus able to do all these miracles and these wonders. They looked at Him and they listened to Him. And He's able to know all these things about the Lord. And they asked the question, Is this not the carpenter? Is not His mother Mary? Are these not, don't we know Mary and Joseph and all his brothers? This is the carpenter family. How is it he's able to do and know all these things? Well, if Jesus had just been a carpenter, and that is worthy work, but if he had never branched out to talk about the gospel, then souls would not have been saved. If Jesus had not left the carpenter shop and put himself on the cross, then the world would not have been redeemed. Mark chapter 1, 16 and 17, Jesus came, Peter, James, John, fishermen. He says, I will make you to become fishers of men. Now their fishing was just as wholesome a a job and a work and a duty as there was on earth at that time. But if they just stayed with their boats... If they just stayed with their fish and didn't ever branch out to become fishers of men, then many people's souls would have been lost. 
You see, the spiritual work is the higher calling. Somehow or another, what the Lord calls upon us to do is to do both. Is to do both. Just like first, just like Acts 18, 1 through 3 talks about Aquila and Priscilla. They were tent makers. They were co-laborers in that respect with the Apostle Paul. They got it both done. They got both of it done. The Lord says, I have created you in such a way to where you can do both. You will recognize the value of both the secular work and the spiritual work as well. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3, Paul wrote to that church in Thessalonica and he thanked them for their work of faith, for their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. May that be said of us as well. Now I want to look at page 3 here. Notice just to confirm what we're saying, there are some very worthy examples in Scripture of people working. We start with Ruth, Ruth, book of Ruth, chapter 2, the lady Ruth, you remember her. She's a Moabite lady. You remember that um, she married one of Naomi's sons. Well, Naomi's family, Naomi's family, left Bethlehem and went to the Moabite region because there was a famine in the land. They had to go and just, just try to make a living. In the process of time, Naomi's sons marry Moabite women. In the process of time, Naomi's, both, both her sons die and her husband dies. But Ruth stays with Naomi and they go back to Bethlehem and are able to, to make a living there. And in chapter 2 of Ruth, Ruth looks at Naomi and says, uh, Can I go out into the fields and, and, and work among uh, the reapers, among the uh, ears of grain, so that I can uh, begin to bring us in a living? She said, Go. She didn't know whether she would find favor on somebody's field or not. She just went. She had the willingness. She had the ability. Would God provide her the opportunity? He did. And as you know, she ended up reaping and gleaning from the fields of of Boaz and uh, the rest is history uh, there. But there's a great example of someone working uh, in that lady, uh, Ruth. What about Nehemiah 6 and verse 15? You remember Nehemiah's task was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after years of uh, captivity. And it says in 52 days they rebuilt those walls. In 52 days they rebuilt those walls. Nehemiah 2 verse 20, Nehemiah's, uh, his statement was, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. They went to work believing that the God of heaven would prosper them. Nehemiah 2 verse 20. But there's something recorded in Nehemiah 3, verse 5 that's interesting. The Tekoites, uh, among everybody working, it says this particular group of people would not put their necks down to the work. They, would put not their, they wouldn't put their necks to the work. I was noticing in the English Standard Version, it translates it like this. They would not stoop to do the work on the wall. Isn't that interesting? They couldn't bring themselves to work. Perhaps they thought they were just too good to do the work. But Nehemiah found enough willing volunteers and in 52 days they rebuilt the walls. What about the ants of Proverbs chapter 6? 
Be wise and consider the ants, the wise man says. Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 6. Because they don't have a chief, they don't have an officer, they don't have a ruler, yet what do they do? They go and gather their bread in the summer, and they have, uh, they have their food in the harvest. They don't have a leader, they don't have anybody telling them what to do and when to do it. They just go and do it. What a great example the ants are for us. What about the moms? Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. What about that virtuous lady there in Proverbs 31? Isn't that amazing to see all the descriptions given about her? Well, Proverbs 31, 27 says that she looks well to the ways of her household and she does not eat the bread of idleness. A lot of people do. There are people in the world that eat, that they live on idleness. They, they live on what they can get by. They, they try to get by on doing the least amount of work they can do. She does not eat in that way. She does not live in that way. She looks well to the, to the ways of her household and she does not eat the bread of idleness. And turn with me into 2 Thessalonians 3. Look at this great example of Paul. Just quickly at 2 Thessalonians 3. Paul's, one of his uh, goals here with the Thessalonians was to get them back to work. Somehow in their mind, in hearing about how that one day Jesus will conduct a judgment day in the air, that somehow they thought that was going to be really soon and they could just stop what they were doing. But Paul came and, and he tried to, um, to correct this. No, beginning in verse 7, 2 Thessalonians uh, Chapter 3, verse 7, Paul says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate uh, us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Notice verse 9. It was not because we did not have that right. Now notice that. The Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians 9, 14, and 16 that those who preach the gospel can live of the gospel. So Paul could have taken advantage of the right of just allowing the church to support him financially. But because of this problem in Thessalonica, he said, we labor, we toiled night and day. We did both kinds of works. We doubled down on both kinds of works. We did the secular work of tent making among you and we also preached to you the gospel because we wanted to give you the right example. So notice verse 9, 2 Thessalonians 3, 9. He says, it was not because we did not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. That goes hand in hand most of the time. If we're not busy at work, we become busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own uh, living. These examples. Page 4 is about children and work. Let's take a minute or two and think about children and work. Parents, it is God's command to us that we teach our children to work. That's where they learn. <clears throat> and so how do we do that? 
Well, you give them things to do that they can do, and that prepares them to be able to do greater things later. Notice in Matthew chapter 25 and 21 what Jesus will say to those on his right hand at Judgment Day. That's where I want to be. That's where you want to be. You want to be on the right hand of the Lord on Judgment Day. He will say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will now make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now let's take a side trip here for a second. Think about heaven. Think about earth. Whatever it is we do for the Lord here, that's regarded as a few things. Heaven is regarded as a lot of things. We don't know what that all that is. But here's what we do know. It will be the joy of the Lord. Now, apply the workings of Jesus to parents and children. Parents are to give their children few things to do to help them prepare for the many things they'll be doing as adults. And that won't even compare to all the things they will be doing in heaven. But notice the joy that follows there. If you want your children to be happy, you will teach them to work. Teach them to do a few things. That prepares them to do even greater things. And they will have joy throughout their lives. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 11 Here comes Samuel to Jesse's house. Are these all the sons you have? Samuel asked Jesse. He says, well, there is one more. He's he's out keeping the sheep. Bring him, and he's the one. Just one chapter over, we have David, that sheep keeper, going against Goliath. And David talks him into letting him go against that giant. 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 35. He said, look guys, when I was keeping my father's sheep, if a bear or a lion came and got one of our sheep, guess what I did? I ran that thing down. I got, I got that lamb out of the mouth of that bear or lion, whatever it can be. I turned him into a carcass and I brought the, the sheep back. This Philistine will have the same fate as that lion and that bear. All right, David, go to it. But look what that did. Look what the keeping of the sheep that Jesse gave David to do as he's younger. Look what that did for him. It prepared him to do even greater things. Now children have to learn to work. Do you have good memories of work? I do. I've got, I've got the best memories. I remember one Saturday it was time to to clean out, uh, clean off the woods behind our house to make our garden spot. It was one of the first real warm days of spring. And it was one of the first years my dad ever let me use an axe and a sling blade all by myself. I had a glorious time. We built a big fire that day. We got the place cleared off for our garden. It is a memory etched. I'll never forget it. Never forget it. I remember every year in springtime, we had a... A lot of pine trees around our little Barker village. I had grandma and grandpa that lived up the hill and had cousins that lived to the right of me and we lived behind everybody. And uh, we had a lot of pine trees. And that every year in the fall and winter, all that straw came down. And all that straw had to be raked up clean. Why? They didn't ever tell us why. It just had to be done. 
from the road all the way back down behind her. All of it had to be raked and burned. But it was, it was glorious fun to learn to work, to learn to work. Tom Holland writes a book, Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned on the Farm. His first chapter is, He Learned to Work. He said he had an uncle, they all grew up just outside of Athens. He had an uncle who was a farmer. He said this college student one summer wanted to do, he was, a, he was learning to become an economist. And this college student wanted to come out and, and talk to some of the farmers. He came out and he asked uh, Tom's uncle, he said, uh, now, as he had his clipboard out, he said, now what time do you go to work every day? And they all laughed at him. They said, son, on the farm when you get up, the work's all around you. All around you. Tom talks a lot in his book about growing up on a farm in the Depression days. He tells about how his dad just turned the feeding of the animals, the, the pigs and the donkeys, uh, it was just his job. And so one evening at supper, his dad just, uh, Tom, you did get them fed today. And Tom had just let it slip his mind. It was, they were not fed. And so his dad just looked at him and said, I guess you got a job to do. And it was complete dark, complete pitch dark. Tom tells in the book that the barn's about um, 100 yards from their house. And he had heard the old people, older people, talk about panthers and wild hogs. And, of course, all that was in his mind as he went to the barn. He said he got out there and they had a little crib that they put the uh, ears of corn in to feed uh, the mules. And so his first job was to get in that crib and, uh, and shuck some corn. And so they had uh, the door of the crib was a cover of planks of wood so that you could put more corn in there without it falling out. But on the top of those planks uh, that covered the door of that crib, they left about a two-foot space to where Tom could just dart through that little space and just sit literally on top of the corn and begin to shut the corn. That's what he was doing right there at the night. He said, what does a, a little boy do who's scared to death? He said, he sings songs that he knows to, at the top of his lungs. He just sat there and sang loud as he could to keep the fear away from him. He says he sat there and, and um, shook that corn. He said uh, some of the corn under him moved. And then he just kept singing and it still moved. And before long, a slimy snake rubbed against the bottom of his foot. Of course, where I grew up and where Tom grew up, you, know, you go barefooted every day until you just can't. But um, he said that he, he left that crib uh, in about four times the, the time it took to enter it. And he said not only did his parents understand there was a snake, but all the neighbors. And you remember, in the country, in the country, the neighbors didn't live right close to you, but he said all the neighbors knew there was a snake in the crib in the corn uh, that night. But his point is, in writing that book and telling us that story, is that there's a value to work, something that you'll never, ever forget. And so, just briefly this morning, I want us to, rem to be reminded that there is honor to work, that there are several important principles attached to work, that also there are wonderful, incredible examples of work in the Scriptures. 
that God himself is a hard worker. And remember that it's important to bring our families up on the great principle of work. The most important work, of course, is the spiritual calling, the high calling of the gospel. And it could be that the gospel is calling to you today. Okay. Not, not in some voice out of the air, but through the word, through, through the scriptures. Perhaps you're learning more and more about Jesus, how good he is, how powerful he is, about his sacrifice, his loving sacrifice on our behalf on the cross. Maybe you're learning that, that how holy God is, and how that you, to walk with him, you, you've got to, you've got to be washed of your, your sins. And baptism puts you in the contact uh, with that shed blood of Jesus. And maybe the gospel's calling to you uh, today. If we can help you with any spiritual need, please make that known right now as we stand, as we sing. Brother